Hi, and welcome to Apple Jam, a place where my friend Neil McCutcheon and myself, Bernardo Morales, discuss Beatles and Beatle-related records. These conversations are hosted in Clubhouse, where we meet every two weeks to discuss an album. We'd like to invite you to join the Apple Jam Club in Clubhouse and to follow us on Instagram. Now, without any further ado, here's the episode. Yeah, so uh, this week, we're going to be talking about um, the 1967 album, Album? Is it an album? We're going to discuss that in a second, um, I guess. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it's um, how did you come across this album, Neil? Um, it's it's kind of always been an album to me. Um, so I came across it just uh, I think in the early in the early eighties. I was just collecting cassettes and working my way through the Beatles. Um, output and uh it was the last one that i bought because i knew that um it only had four songs on it that i didn't already have from the blue album so i i held off buying it because it didn't seem very good value how about you yeah it was similar with me i had a blue album um and and that was enough for me. I didn't really uh, bother to buy the, uh, well, the actual version or, well, in that case, it would have been the 1987 version of Magical Mystery Tour. Um, and then I bought the movie, I bought the DVD of the film, and I was so disappointed watching it. It was so strange. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, um, yeah, it certainly disrupted all the TV norms from when it came out. Yeah, yeah, and it, it was just so weird. Like it had no story. Um, it was yep. under an hour, I think. Um, yep. But at the same time, it had the videos for um, the Fool on the Hill and um, I'm the Walrus. So that enough was well, that was good enough for me. Um, I really liked it because of that. But the film itself, it's worth it. It's worth it for those sequences. But I have to say, I couldn't. Um... I couldn't make it to the end. I think I borrowed it from somebody at some point. I've never owned it, but I I couldn't watch that film to the end, amazingly enough, <laughs> even though it's less than an hour. Yeah, and now um, it's, I think, the Beatles album I have the most versions of, maybe. Oh. Um, yeah. I have so many versions of this album. I have two of the German pressings. Um, I have the normal kind of um, cap, well, the normal pressing um, on vinyl. I have the mm -hmm. 1987 CD that, and the 2009 CD. And I also have the Blu-ray of the film. Can you give us a sort of potted history of the, uh, you know, whether it's an album or not and how, how it kind of evolved? Yeah, well, it was originally, well, the Beatles didn't have enough songs after having recorded Sgt. Pepper um, in order to release a, a brand new album. So they were considering releasing an album only on on one side and then the other side with nothing, like a normal, is it 33 and a half speed um, album? <laughs> I didn't know that, with literally nothing on the other side. <laughs> with, with nothing on the other side. They also um, played with the idea of releasing an, a normal album, but with only three songs on, the, on each side. But then they realized that the sound quality wouldn't be very good. So in the end, they they decided to release a double EP, which I think was one of, of the first double EPs ever released, if not the first one ever released in the UK. 
possibly that's a, a good thing. I, I didn't know that, but a good point. And, and the packaging sort of emphasised that it was a film soundtrack rather than um, a follow-up to Sgt. Pepper, because by this time the film had been had been made and by the time the EP came out at the end of November. Yeah, it, that's right. And I think the it was the end of November, then the film was, I think, shown on BBC Two on Boxing Day. That's right. And so uh, much has been made of the fact that British nation is kind of, I don't know, half drunk and very, you know, very uh, unimaginative at that point in Boxing Day and probably wanting, wanting and expecting to see something quite familiar and comforting. And what they got was something really random and <laughs> unstructured. And the critics panned the film. They panned the film. I, they, well, I heard somewhere that BBC Two at the time was in black and white. And only that's right in color, and that yes. affected the, the 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 result of the film. Like pe- pe- people didn't get to experience some of the sequences they had prepared um, as as the Beatles intended. Yeah, and so eventually, this how did this thing? How did it become uh, an LP? Because I know I know that it became sort of canonical with the nineteen eighty seven CDs, um, uh, yeah, firmly established at that point uh, and it's all and since then it's kind of been part of the the canon but how did that Ger- german lp happen was that the the first lp version well that wasn't the first lp version what happened was that um eps were not very popular in the in the united states so um they decided instead of releasing the ep the beatles gave permission for capital to release a proper lp so what they did was they took the the singles that hadn't been part of any Beatles LP in the US and they included them on 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 side two of the album. Um, Do you think that's the first time Capital got it right? Then I, th- you know, in terms of getting a, a coherent album together, that that that's a very difficult question for me. I like the Robert Rubber Soul version as well, the Capital version of Rubber Soul. Ah, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's got a, a slightly different track listing. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, no, I haven't. Well, it doesn't start with "Drive My Car." It starts with "I've Just Seen a Face." Oh, it's good, good choice. Um, and it also has "It's Only Love" from Help. So it's kind of a more kind of acoustic countryish uh, mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. So, so I really like that one. But I think it it could be universally agreed that that was one of the one of the best decisions Capital made when it came to releasing a, a Beatles um, LP. And as you said, it's now part of the of the official Beatles canon. Um, it's not possible to get the EP anymore. Um, I think the last time it was released was in that kind of deluxe box set of Magical Mystery Tour that was released, I think, in 2012, which I don't have because it was about £150 and I didn't think it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, you're, uh, you're right. Um, probably not. Probably not. Um... And then what happened was that when they made that side B, Capital ordered some versions of Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane, um, and also Baby, You're a Rich Man and All You Need Is Love. And they got the mono versions of those, and they had simulated stereo, right? Ah, and that's what happened on the, um, the German LP then, because that's why it ended up with the simulated stereo as well. Yeah, so the first version of the German LP was released with simulated stereo on side B, on, sorry, on side two. Um, and then in 1971, um, the, this German company, Electrola, 
ordered brand new versions of some of the songs from side two. Um, and they made, I mean, the, I think the, one of the best sounding Beatle albums ever. Um, and that's the one that you got for no money, and I paid <laughs> close to a hundred Canadian dollars for that one because I've heard it's an amazing sounding record. And my fiance is bringing that over for my birthday. I still haven't heard it yet. You still haven't heard it. I've got two copies, yeah. and very, very strangely, I found the first one in a in a second hand shop here in Spain, and it looked mint, right? Um, and then mm-hmm. played it, and it seemed like it was the first version um, because you could tell it was simulated stereo on the last tracks. Yeah, but, but it didn't have anything on the matrix. So I wrote um, on Twitter to this guy who has. Ah, which, which it a boot, which it a bootleg. Yeah, and then he told me it was a bootleg. He told me um, that it wasn't um, original. Yeah, because I, I I saw a mint bootleg of that in in uh, Lyon. And I I had to ask him because it looks so amazing, and I just said, "What's this?" And then he said, "Yeah, it's a bootleg." Yeah, he was very good quality vinyl as well. It was at least 180 grams. Like it was, it was really thin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I bought it by mistake, and then I I found a copy. I think it was on Boxing Day on eBay, uh, for like 20 bucks. Like it was really cheap, probably because it was uh, near Christmas. Very quickly before we get onto the music, um, what do you think of the the sort of idea that this is the Beatles at their weirdest? Um. What I mean, what they've been recording around this time is things like um, "It's All Too Much" and "You Know My Name," mm-hmm. and spilling onto this album things like um, uh, "Blue Jay Way" and "Flying." And you know, it's a, it's a, it is a sort of more experimental Beatles album. It's certainly looser than Sgt. Pepper. It is, and I really like it because of that. I yeah, it's got its own personality. Um, I I don't well, I like those instrumental tracks, especially because I I remember them from the film. So I imagine mm-hmm. um, what in this case what, what what they had in mind, you know. Um, so so I really like them. And if you look at the track listing of the EP, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the, the 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 sequence is good. I think it 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 has some of the best Beatles outros um, for some of the tracks. Um, it's probably the album I listen to the most, I would say, because it just it just picks me up. It's 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 short. It's interesting. There's always something new there. I, I, it, it's just a great collection of songs. It's a great collection of songs. Side two is amazing. I mean, it's probably the best um, side two of any Beatle album. I know that's a big statement, but I mean, it's got so many amazing songs. Um, so if we, just... I think that about side one. <laughs> as well and and side one too like it's, it's just so interesting side one perhaps yeah. it's not, it's yeah. not the, the best known songs um but 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 it's still very interesting mm. it's worth mentioning so let's get into this oh that, that, you, that you brian, go brian epstein sorry that brian epstein had just died um before this st- was it before they started making the album um, yeah, Brian Epstein died. The, well, I mean, the, the recording of Magical Mystery Tour, uh, the song goes way back till May. So I think they had that one. And then um, afterwards, I think um, the rest of it would have probably been recorded after he died. Because um, Brian died in August. So I think uh, this is uh, mostly Paul's project. Um 
here's a quote from Ringo. The songs had changed, our attitude had changed, and our well-being had changed. That's Ringo to Uncut Magazine. And I think this is the first time that Paul was exhorting them to get back on your feet, lads. You know, come on, uh, let's do something. Here's our project. And it was a sort of vague idea that he had in his mind after visiting Haight-Ashbury. Um, in in the spring and hearing about Ken Kesey and the Magic Bus and all that, the Grateful Dead and that whole thing. So that started the Magical Mystery Tour idea. And it's incredible to me that that track, um, basically they kicked off recording that track four days after they'd finished recording Sgt. Pepper. So yeah, how about that? They're right back in the studio in May. I couldn't believe that. You would think they would take a holiday. <laughs> uh, yeah, they did take a, and they did take some holidays during this, including Paul going to France and without a passport and kind of skipping around on the fool on the hill. So they still worked. I mean, they took a holiday and they still recorded the video for Fool on the Hill. I mean, that's not, that's hardly a holiday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were still working, but I think it was a I think it was a low period uh, for work, and I think Paul was trying to galvanize them, and it was the start of all that, the start of them being Paul's band. Yeah, I mean, John said in an interview that the Beatles ended when Brian died. Um, he said in that Lennon remembers interview. Um, I don't know if I agree with that, but it is true that perhaps um, Paul took the lead and and was the one who called everyone back into the studio. And you could tell mm-hmm. perhaps most of the singles after this time could be more leaning towards... Sorry, Bernard, or somebody was calling me there. Mm-hmm. Um, so did did that come across in the recording? You carry on. I don't know. It didn't. Um, Good. I was just saying that, um, that yeah, that it, this seems to be Paul's project. You can tell that after Brian died, um, m- most of the singles were kind of going towards Paul rather than John, you know? Um, That's right. I mean, this 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 album's dominated by um, Paul. Really, well, the the, the double EP is. Yeah, the double EP is, um, and it's wonderful. I mean, his songs are really good on, on on this album, so I'm 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 happy with that. So, what song would you like to start with? Well, let's start with the title track. We talked. About I love about that. it. Mm-hmm. I love this track. Um, it's just, um, I've heard, you know, the trumpets criticised, actually, but I love that trumpet score. Um, apparently it was written in the studio. Um, I I heard it when I was a kid at Christmas. Um, the voices intrigued me and intrigue me still. I still don't know who's singing the line with invitation and reservation. I still don't know if that's Paul or John or both of them. Can't tell. And I, I just think it's a, I just think it's a fantastic song. I love the, the, the drums, um, and I love the outro. Uh, I, it, it's a, just a great track. Yes, it's a brilliant track. I love the bass as well. It's so punchy. Um, yeah. So I, I really like it, especially in the 1987 CD. Um, the, the bass is really punchy, and I really like it. Um, it's also like I saw Paul for the first time live in concert for george but he only played a couple of songs there and then i saw him in america in 2005 and he opened the concert with with magical mystery tour so i also have that memory attached to that song it just felt so magical. yeah it's one of the ones um, and when he came back in the early 90s he he did magical mystery tour he did fool on the hill 
Um, so he was attached to a lot of these songs. Yeah, yeah. Um, he just felt so magical when he came on stage playing Magical Mystery Tour. So whenever that song comes on, yeah, that memory. Um, so it's, it's it's a very important song for me. And it's interesting, kind of. Um, this is just about their kind of accents and their singing personas. They really roll those R's. R- roll up, roll up, roll up for the Magical Mystery Tour. Uh, well, let's play. Shall we? Play? Yeah, yeah. All right. It's really nice. Yeah, I didn't hear, I didn't hear those special sounds, but they come in later, and I don't know if they're trying to do a kind of extra Liverpool accent or a Blackpool accent. I always tuned into that, and I and I, and, and the tour, magical mystery tour, very English sounding. Who's singing the, that line? The invitation and the reservation. Did you get? That? I was just who, trying. Who is I, that? Was, I think it's both of them. I think it was double track. It's both of them. Yeah, and so and it, I, I think it is, and it sort of blends like one voice. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. Should we move on to the next song? Um, just before we move on, I just want to ask you quickly about um, what you said about the 1987 um, CD. How is that possible? So are you telling me that the um, the 2009 remaster just ain't as good? What did what what went wrong? Um, I don't know if if it's something wrong or if it's just the fact that I grew up with those ver- 1987 versions. But I feel okay. every every CD after Sgt. Pepper, um, I, I prefer the sound from the 1987 um, versions than the 2009 remasters. I heard, I saw that on an Andrew Dixon video on, on YouTube as well. And, uh, and um, as a result, have re-bought... <laughs> Uh, only for two quid or something. The Sergeant Pepper from that era. I don't want to rebuy all those CDs I sold. <laughs> oh, you sold them? Yeah, because I have the two thousand nine ones. All right. Why would uh, why, why would I want the older ones? I assumed that they were inferior. I don't think my ears are probably sensitive enough to pick it up. Um, but it's very interesting that you say that. It makes me feel there's something in it. Um, I don't know whether there's something or not, but um, I, it's, I think it's just that those are the versions I'm used to more than okay because I played them so much from the '90s yeah. until, until yeah. 2009 when when the new versions were released. I I do like the Giles Martin mixes of 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 um of some of, of yeah. Newer I don't even mean the Giles Martin ones. I just mean the 2009, and um, yeah. I just thought yeah. they would be the best ever. And if they're not, I'm annoyed. But you know, the differences must be slight. The differences slight. Um, I I I mentioned the 1987 one just because um, I have the a capital version of Magical Mystery Tour, and I just feel that the bass on that vinyl isn't as good. So I thought that after 1987 and later, all the versions were were better. Okay. 
Um, one what next? worth mentioning oh. um, about yeah. um, some of the tracks from Magical Mystery Tour, like um, Baby, You're a Rich Man, if I'm not mistaken, All You Need Is Love, and is it only those two? There is the Blue Yellow Submarine soundtrack. Have you... Have you got that one? Yes. Oh, yeah. I love those mixes. And those are completely different mixes on the song track. They are. And they sound so good compared as well. Um, oh, they're fantastic. They're just fantastic mixes. And Baby, You're a Rich Man is just... Let's do that one next. That's just one of my favorite yeah. songs. So, um, first of all, it's not about the money. <laughs> Baby, You're a Rich Man. I think it's about... Um, look, everything's inside and you can find everything inside if you really want. Um, um, but it's hard to tell because it's a bit of a random lyric. I love this track. I, it's, it's, it's funky. When I was young, I used to find it really beguiling. Um, just like, um, how often have you been there? And, you know, what did you see when you were there? I mean, that just kind of in my 14 year old self that made me want to rush off and take hallucinogens you know <laughs> what, what did you see when you were there man i just oh oh you know it was just like fairyland you know i love that um it's still a really interesting track the bass is the bass is is, is lovely it's supposed to be great on the german pressing by the way and the, there's just so many little things happening with the the percussion the little electric guitar i like the the way that the stereo is panned maybe they thought of this as a throwaway song but to me like i just think it's it's superb and and, I, and it's one that not a lot of um if if you're not a beatles fan you kind of won't know this song which is which is which is a shame because it's such a good song. It's one of the first songs recorded outside of Abbey Road. It was recorded um, and mixed at Olympic Studios, and I think Eddie Kramer was one of the engineers. Maybe that makes a difference, you know, because it's kind of like along with say "Come Together," it's kind of the funkiest Beatles song. Yeah, and they say it's one of the best recorded Beatles songs um, as well. Um, which I agree. I mean, the bass sounds great. Yeah. And the song itself yeah. is amazing. It's got this really strange instrument. I don't know what it's called um, at the beginning. Maybe. Oh, let's hear it. Um, just one second. Um, this one. There you go. That one. This one. Yeah. The, the Indian one. The... <laughs> That one. Yeah. What is it, do you know? Oh, it sounds like um, some kind of Indian... Um, it's not a flute, um, but something like that. It definitely sounds like an Indian instrument. But maybe it... Yeah, it, it's got to be that. I have no idea. I think, I think it's an electric instrument. And I only found out... Mm. I don't know the name of it. Um, I'm going to check online in a second. Let's hear it again. Play that little bit again. I want to hear it. Yeah, just a sec. So that... Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I, I was watching The Beatles Get Back. Yeah? And, yeah. Um, I saw Billy Preston playing with, with, with like an electric little instrument that sounded a lot like that. Okay. I wonder what it was. 
I don't know mm. who directed it was. I think it was um like episode three or episode four. Well, obviously because that's where Billy Preston was. Um, Let's I, look it up. I'll I'll look it up. But um, I I I'm convinced he was playing with with. It was like a little elect, like a little box with a pencil or something, and he was making very similar sounds. So I don't know if it was um if it's the same instrument. Have you heard the story that in at some place in this song that um, uh, Lennon is supposed to kind of be <clears throat> sort of g- gently or just kind of bad mouthing Brian Epstein? I, I I've never been able to hear that line. So to me, like it's just a rumor. I mean, I've listened to it and I just can't hear that line, which I'm not going to repeat. <laughs> yeah, we we we. Um... Yes, I don't think it was true. I don't. I don't think he would have been that mean to Brian. Um, on I don't think so. No, no. And if that ever, ha- if that happened, I think that that was that would have been a very irresponsible decision of of the producer, which in this case, <laughs> I think it was hidden. I don't think it. You know, I think it was. They tried to slip it past the producer if it ever happened. But I just can't hear that. So um, thank goodness for that. Anyway, baby, you're a rich man. Fantastic track for for non-Beatles fans to check out. Yeah, it's it's one of those kind of rare tracks. Was it in that album, in Rarities? No, it couldn't have been. It was. It, it would have been in uh, history too, yes. I know it was the B-side of All You Need Is Love. Not all. Yeah. Um, but do, do you remember with the um, 1970s, was it the 1970s re-releases of the Beatles albums in the blue box? Do you remember that blue box? I've seen it, yeah. Um, there was one more album called Rarities. Is it? Is it? Does it have a dark blue cover? Yeah, the one with a dark blue cover. I don't know yeah, on that so, album. Yeah, purple, purple cover. Yeah, I used to have that one. Yeah, mm. on cassette. Yeah. I've got a different rarities one now. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, which song would you like to talk about next? I'd like to talk about "All You Need Is Love" because it's a triumph. Even though um, Ian McDonald doesn't like it, I think it's a triumph. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, there's so many things to say. The first thing is, of course, this was the Beatles' contribution to the Our World broadcast in 1967 in June, and they were fresh from having released Sgt. Pepper, so they were the biggest band in the world again uh, and and bigger than ever. Um, So they were chosen as the British entry, um, and they dashed off All You Need Is Love. They wrote it, I think, about a week beforehand, maybe 10 days beforehand, John wrote the song. And, you know, they sort of, so they're going, so here's the entry, here's Britain's entry. Um, and the first thing they get is the Marseillaise. I think that's just fantastic. So they here it is, Great Britain, and then da, 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 da. I think that's just a stroke of genius. Uh, absolutely wonderful joke. Whose decision was that? I, it, I have no idea. It must have been John Lennon. It must have been John saying, you know, let's tell you what, let's play the French national anthem, you know, at the beginning. And I mean, it's just genius. You know, and then also just from a musical point of view, I love the four, four, three, four time signature in this song, which means that the last bar always gets missed. So it skips forward. So the song, you know, it it always has, you know, a lot of momentum because of that odd time signature. I love that. That's just 
fantastic. And because, you know, anyone else writing the song, it would have just plodded along in 4-4 and uh, there would have been nothing really special about it. But that just gives it this little edge. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very strange song because it seems so simple, but it's so complicated at the same time. Um, yeah, and, and, and the words as well. I mean, the words, I think, are a triumph too. Like, I mean, the words have been criticised as well, but they're really good. I mean, they're just really good for that kind of state of enlightenment that they were in at the time, I guess. You know, they, they're, they're, they're quite spiritual words. They stand the test of time, I think. I think so. Something very strange with that song is that George Harrison makes a mistake in the guitar solo. Yeah, you can't get over that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he really does. So that was one of the parts that um, was live, because I'm not sure what was live and what was the backing track here. But yeah, George's solo starts off, it's so great, the guitar sound is so great, and then it kind of goes, <laughs> and just kind of cuts off. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. play a bit of it. Okay. Let's see if I can... But they left it for a little bit because you can hear that clack, clack, clack. Yeah. yeah. He, and, he, and he had to live with that. Presumably it wasn't one of the ones he listened to a lot. I, I can't believe they didn't let him fix it after the recording. Yeah, because they could have just gone on and, and, and pasted something over it. Unless they recorded um, that guitar and John's voice on the same track. I think they, they could have done yeah. it. Yeah. I don't know how, how popular, um, I mean, I guess it was quite popular at the time, but to me, it's kind of, it's kind of like the transcendental anthem of the summer of love. It really, it's, it, it is capturing a moment in time before the cynicism kicked in, before there was anything about, you know, irony or anything like that. It just captures that moment in time of that very innocent, happiness of kind of we are really going to change the world here with this generation and so it's kind of unsullied and and brilliant unlike you know a lot of things happening in that year the doors the velvet underground a lot of things were sort of getting darker already but um that all you need is love is is still just full of light wonderful it's wonderful have you ever seen in the video there is a sign that says um come back millie <laughs> no, I, I may have spotted it just in passing, but I'd forgotten. It. What's the What's the reference to? I don't know. I just, I just wanted to know if you knew. I I, I just wonder who <laughs> Millie was. No, Millie, 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 maybe um, my boy Lollipop wasn't that Millie? I I don't know. It just says "Come back, Millie." So I always imagined because she's leaving home uh, was released in Sgt. Pepper. Then you have come back Millie. I always have that kind of like, maybe it was someone who left home. and uh, Maybe, uh, maybe. I got a feeling if you look it up, my boy Lollipop was Millie. Um, so, you know, one of, uh, I mean, from Jamaica, an actual, you know, uh, bona fide hit uh, from uh, Jamaica was probably about 1965. Mm -hmm. And maybe so they were just, you know, Hats off to Millie, kind of thing. <laughs> um, Mick Jagger was also in the recording of um, All You Need Yes. They're clapping. Yep. I think yep. Keith Richards as well. So. Do you know what was done live? Because on the Beatles Bible it says, 
just, I think this was one of the comments in the Beatles Bible. The only things that were done live were the orchestra, Paul's Rickenbacker bass, Ringo adding a backbeat, and all the vocals. And then we know that George's solo was live. So um, is that everything? I mean, you know, I can't see anything that remains to be on the backing track, but I know they did play with the backing track. Well, so, um, the backing vocals, because they sound very good. The love, love, love. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's what it'll be. So the backing vocals are maybe uh, a sort of a, a time signature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I really yeah. like the ending as well. I like the all all the kind of improv they do, like um, all the ad libbing with "She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah," and then John going. Is that Paul doing that or John? Um, uh, Paul goes, "She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah," and then John says, "Yesterday." <laughs> uh, okay, uh, okay. So that's Paul doing. Okay, because I sort of, it's you can sort of. It's hard to tell who that is. Um, I'll, I'll I, that. I just want to say that. Oh, go yeah, on. go on. Sorry. No, no, sorry. Oh well, um, Ian McDonald says um, interesting, different of opinion here. So uh, Ian McDonald said that um, this track was willfully substandard. Imagine willfully substandard. But Brian Epstein said it was spine chilling. So there you go. You couldn't have broader disagreement than that. Yeah, I don't agree with Ian McDonald sometimes when he, he's so critical no. of um, of these kind of very classic tracks. And I think there's a reason why they're classics. Oh yeah, I mean this is abs- this was a is a kind of dashed off thing at the height of their inspiration, and it's um, it's it's brilliant because they because they dashed it off. It's ju- and it just sits in that moment in history. Yeah, so it's perfect. Ian McDonald, he's wrong this time. I'm afraid. Sorry, Ian. Yeah. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. I'm gonna play that bit just for a second. Okay. The ending. Sorry, that's the wrong song. One second. Yeah. That reminds me. And a great ending. Yeah, of Hey Bulldog. It's, it's a- ah. A great, I just think it's a great ending for the album and um, um, also like a lot of other albums. Uh, well, the Love album, for example, I think it ends with this a slightly different mix, doesn't it? Yeah. That's an yep. album I love. We should talk about the Love album one day. Oh, that's a, that's, oh yeah. Maybe we'll do that next. I love that. And that's really, that's a fantastic, fantastic album. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So next, should we talk about... Your choice? Chris? Walvis, I am the Walvis. Yep. Great. What do you think of that? Um, I love I am the Walrus. Um, it's one of those songs I've loved since I was a teenager. Um, I think it, I loved it because it was so weird as well. Like I remember mm-hmm. not, um, when I first heard that song, I didn't know the meaning of Walrus. And I looked it up and I was like, this makes no sense. It must mean something else. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and But I love that song. It's such a good rhythm. Um, and, and yeah, I love it because it's so strange. The wall, I guess the walrus reference is the walrus and the carpenter from Lewis Carroll. I can't think of another walrus reference. So I'm guessing it's that because Lennon liked Lewis Carroll and this was his, I guess, entry into that world being, I guess, his most surreal song. Um, so perhaps, I don't know. 
But that's the thing with John. He could make this, he could write these songs that were very surreal and which meant nothing, but they were so musical and they would mean something in, in the end, you know? Um, in yeah, in this case, um, Ian MacDonald makes a very, very good case for it being a, a meaningful lyric. So I won't go into it all here, um, but he just makes a very good case for the nonsense being meaningful in uh, that John is having a go at the British establishment. Uh, so we've got, you know, Edgar Allan Poe uh, as one of his heroes, a surrealist, Lewis Carroll, a surrealist. Um, the, the, you know, the policemen in a row lining up, being like the kind of the square establishment expert, expert, joking smoker. Um, so it, I think it, it's a kind of unconscious thing. I don't think John was really thinking about that. But um, E. McDonald's point, which I agree with, is it ends up being a vicious anti-establishment rant because it's sung with such passion. It's not as surreal as it first appears, but I think a lot of that was unconscious. So if you need evidence that inspiration can be unconscious and mean something beyond what the artist knows it means, I think this is it. And that, so that's fascinating to me too. Can it mean more than the artist means Yes, yeah. that's the, yes. The idea is that critics who know the artist and who know the times and everything um, can bring their own, you know, intelligence to bear, and the meaning is revealed. Uh, so yeah, because Lenin obviously didn't. I mean, literally, we're saying he didn't entirely know what he was doing. Sorry, John, but that the work is kind of greater than he realized. Yeah. Um, I also really like, and I have to say, like George Martin's production in this song is is is, is brilliant. Um, I I love the the the, the intro. Um, is it yeah string quartet in the intro? It sounds really good. Um, oh, it's fantastic! Like, the cello, yeah, the cello is it just sounds so good. Um, and was Brian still alive when this happened? When when they recorded this? I don't know. I don't know the date. I mean, Brian died on the August bank holiday. Um, I think, no, I think this would have been afterwards. Yeah, sorry, I've just got the data here. It's the first song they recorded after the death of Brian. Ah, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the things about, I mean, if you like the mix, um, on the Love album, they haven't interfered with the, I mean, the overall um, George Martin mix is still there. Um, but they've done a superior mix in terms of the where everything is on the stereo. Um, everything is very present. They haven't put any other songs in there. There's no mashup stuff in there at all. So they've just, on that album, you can hear the best mix of I Am The Walrus that you've ever heard, and it will just blow you away, you know, with the drums in the centre, and it's just... They perfected, basically, they perfected the George Martin mix. Yes. So basically, we are telling whoever is listening to this to go and get the Love album if you have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> People hate it because it's it's sacrilegious and all that, you know, because it's a, a mashup. But I must, I um, had that album on my headphones once and I was cycling along the Danube, a hot summer day, and I guess I'd never put it on headphones before. And it just was the most, I mean, the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. And I always maintain if 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 um, there was a kid came up to me and said, oh, you know, uh, the Beatles, what are they like? I would give them the Love album before anything. 
I think so as well. I I don't know where I stand with that. As that like kind of um, changing Beatles mixes is sacrilegious. I think as long as they make them sound good, I think it's great. I don't think that it really matters whether um, whether it's a 1960s uh, mix or whether yeah. it's modern. I think the important thing is that it sounds good. I've got a trivia question for you, but I know that you're going to know the answer. I can't get you on this one. So the radio voices on the outro of um, I Am The Walrus, where's that from? Um, I'm not sure. Is it from a BBC programme? I'm so excited you don't know um, because you can look it up. So... um, it's from King Lear. Uh, so they were just tra- um, uh, tuning in the radio, and there was a radio production of King Lear. And, uh, and so you can actually read the lines. You know, if you go to the King Lear play, you can find all the lines that, um, that are in the outer. I won't quote them because I, 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 I don't actually know what the lines are, but you can, you can see them. So that's quite fun. Yeah, Ringo was just tuning the radio in. And it's just by coincidence, but it works so well. Hello? Yeah, sorry, I didn't hear what you said. So they were just recording Ringo's radio? Ah, yeah, they were literally just, uh, when they were doing the uh, mix, they wanted radio, and he was just tuning the dial, and uh, it just fits so well. Yeah, it was Ken Scott's idea, apparently, the engineer. Um, And... um, (laughs) He had to apparently had to shut them up. Shut up, guys, because we're recording the radio now. And uh, Ringo worked the dial, and it just works so well. Great, um, brilliant. So, shall we move on to the next song? Yeah, your choice. My choice. Let me track list. The Fool on the Hill. Okay, tell me about the Fool on the Hill. What do you think about that? Um, it's one of those songs again. I remember it mainly from the Blue album. Um, mm-hmm. I I love uh, Paul's vocal on that song. I don't know whether they messed with the with the speed of the song because his um, tone sounds a little bit higher than normal. Um, so I'll, I'll play a bit of it, so just so to, so you can see whether um, what mm-hmm. makes sense or not. But yeah, I feel that um, he sounds slightly higher, but I really like it. It sounds really good. So I, I lost the album one second. But there is there are a couple of demo versions on the Anthology Two album, which are worth listening to. Um, I like the recorder sound. I, I don't know whether Paul mm-hmm. was the recorder on, on on that record or not. Well, they originally had only the recorder, and then they added more uh, woodwind. Um, the, the the orchestration is great. So, uh, you know, apparently, you know, everybody's in on there. John's on harmonica and Jew's harp. Ringo's playing, like, some hand cymbals or something. So everybody's in there, and there's this very nice um, texture with the orchestral instruments. Yeah, here it goes. One but second. no drums, I think. No drums, is that right? Yeah. Day after day, alone on a hill, the man with the foolish grin is keeping perfectly still But nobody wants to know him They can see that he's just a fool And he never gives an answer But the fool on the hill Sees the sun going down And the 
So do you think that Paul's voice has been very slightly? I think, but yeah, very slightly. It's not like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds or something like that where there's massive speeding. I mean, I think very slightly, perhaps. You can tell if uh, sometimes you can tell if you play along on guitar um, and it, j- it depends when they speeded the voice up. But if they recorded the voice at normal speed and then speeded it up for the final mix, then when you play with it along with it and get guitar- with the guitar, it, obviously it's not quite in tune. Yeah, I don't know. I think the worst example of that was in, in Sergeant Pepper um of, of of them very well using very speed um i don't know if you've heard the mono version of she's leaving home no okay i'll just play a bit of it just for this just, Go on. just to, to illustrate this and then i'll play the stereo version okay okay so this is the mono version And this is the stereo version. Wednesday morning at oh, five o'clock. Okay, which one is the real speed? Um, the stereo version. Okay, yeah, I mean, uh, I I quite like the very speed. I don't know if it works for that, but you know, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, you know, is. You know, the vocals are so, John's vocals are so up-pitched there, but it kind of adds to the dreamy quality, you know. I kind of like the very speed if it's done well. If it's done well, if it's done for the sake of making the, the musicians sound younger, I guess it doesn't really work. I mean, they all, on, on Loose in the Sky with Diamonds, I mean, they sound like Pinky and Perky sometimes, you know, in the, in the chorus, you know, they're just yeah. like, all of them speeded up. So it's quite, uh, they sound like little gnomes. <laughs> same, I feel the same way about when I'm 64. Is that speeded up too? Yeah, that's sped up as well. It's like, when I'm 60, it just sounds so fake. <laughs> I guess when you, if you're recording, I remember when I used to record stuff and if you speed it up, it just sounds kind of tighter and it just, it, it, it kind of shocks your ear. Um, the, the, the voice takes on a different tone and it's hard to slow it down after you speed it up. I can see the temptations. Yeah, okay, definitely. <laughs> we could do we could do a whole episode on very speedy vocals, you know, by other artists. I've got so many of them, uh, and and some of them are great. Yeah, yeah. I think when I, when I've recorded myself and I've done that, um, I think I like it better because it it sounds like someone else to a certain extent. Yeah, that's another thing. You you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, yeah, I, lo- I I I I remember loving that. One one of the things with Fool on the Hill. Um, mm-hmm. Is the the now the lyric? I, I mean, I have I don't know a sort of a love hate relationship with the lyric. Lennon liked the lyric, um, I guess it chimed with that whole acid consciousness of at the time. You know, I can see the world. You know, but everybody, you know, everybody else in that unenlightened state, you know, can't see it. I mean, maybe that's why Lennon liked it. But I feel it's a I don't know. It's a it's a bit ob- obviously in favor of the fool. I think I would have preferred the lyric if um, it wasn't clear whether the fool was right or the other people were right. I, I would have preferred a, a more sort of ambivalent lyric, but he, he's so obviously on the side of the fool, I think it kind of lets it down a little bit. But, you know, hey, that's a small criticism. Yeah. Um, I, who is the fool? Is the Maharishi the fool? Is Jesus mm. the fool? 
Um, I think it, 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 um, round, it was round about the time they were seeing the Maharishi and they, 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 um, they just seen him, I guess. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a Jesus kind of, um, um, archetype. It's somebody that the world doesn't get. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's, uh, but, but who's, who's a prophet anyway. Yeah. That's, that's, I think that's what, I don't think it's anyone particular. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I think it could possibly be the Maharishi because, as you said, they were they were seeing him at the time, so it might have been inspired by him. Is is uh, there a is there a um, in the video? There isn't a, a, a sequence with the um, Jesus statue in Rio de Janeiro. Am I just imagining that? Maybe that's when Paul played it live. Um, that 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 they perhaps show that image. Maybe um, I don't I don't remember seeing that in. Ah, okay. But then again, there are two versions of that video. There is one version in Magical Mystery Tour. And if I'm not mistaken, um, there is another version of that video on the, you, you know, like the one album that they released later, yeah. um, mixed by guys Martin, and they released it with like a DVD. Um, I think on that DVD, there is a, a, another version of Fool on the Hill. Are you sure that's not Hello Goodbye that has the two? Um, I, I, that's why I said, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not. I'm okay. Sure. I mean, there's I'm definitely sure. two of that. Two. There's. There's one with them in their Sergeant Pepper gear, and then there's another of them kind of lurking about. Mm. There are a few that have two versions. I think Get Back had two versions. Hey, uh -huh. had two versions. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, just to, to finish this one, uh, I read, and I didn't know before, that um, the film sequence is filmed in Nice, and Paul flew out there. Now, you couldn't do this now. Despite having no money or passport. <laughs> so I, I think he was with Mal Evans, who yeah. probably supplied yeah. the money. But you couldn't go to France now without a passport. I mean, they'd say, sorry, Mr. McCartney, you're not getting on this plane, mate. Yeah, I don't know. How, how does it go with these guys when they travel on their private jets and, and, and everything? Do they need this? Do they go past security the same as normal people? I don't know. I mean, I guess in those days, things were pretty lax. People would have known who Paul McCartney was. He had a ticket. Uh, you know, I guess it just was a lot easier in those days, you know. <laughs> but it would have been you know, traveling by he must have been quite high he must have been quite high don't you think to leave home without a passport <laughs> that and going to france with no money can you imagine yeah no just amazing and there's no cash machines <laughs> um so he's, yeah yeah so he's he's kind of skipping around there i don't know how well that dates you know but um there you go it's very much of it it's time i love his coat he's got that high collar very nice, very sixties. Yeah, there is one scene where he's like in a market with an orange, and he's just going round and round. And then there are people kind of walking past, and I'm going, mm. those people must be thinking either look at Paul McCartney, he's recording a video, or these guys are crazy. <laughs> They're thinking he stole that orange because you know, he doesn't have any money. <laughs> Call the police; they'll take his passport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Let's do some of these unusual ones. Like, what about Blue Jay Way? I mean, what about that? Um, the first time I heard that, I just thought, that's not a song. You know, I, and I thought that was one, you know, one of these kind of lazy George ones, like only a Northern song. But now, 
I just love it because it's so atmospheric. It's very atmospheric. It goes very well with flying. And I think in the EP, it makes more sense because here, in, sorry, in the LP, you have flying and then Blue Jay Way. So you have very kind of dreamy songs together. Um, I love them. I love them. And it is it Blue Jay Way's just got this fantastic ending um, with. Um, Oh, actually, I'm thinking of flying with all the backwards things at the end, and and John playing the mellotron. I mean, these are just these are, are um, the Beatles at the height of their dreaminess because they didn't really do that kind of um, very psychedelic studio experimentation, a formless experimentation that other bands did, and, and this is kind of the closest that they came. I think that that's because they could afford to experiment in the studio more than other bands, perhaps at the time. I mean, they had yeah. Mark Lange to to do whatever they wanted at Abbey Road. Um, yeah, and other bands, except perhaps for well, except for the bigger bands at the time, like the Stones and and whoever else. Um, yet, not many bands would have had access to the equipment that the Beatles had. Yeah, and so you know, it's a shame that they kind of. Uh, I always thought, you know, oh, they'll be undiscovered, you know, experimental tracks like A Carnival of Light, which I guess isn't very good because they've never put it out. But, you know, more stuff like this, more dreamy stuff. And I guess, you know, they just were more into songs and structures, um, you know, because a lot of bands were experimenting with, you know, purely with textures and things. And And this is kind of the closest that they come. These two songs, I think um, Blue Jay Way is um, that lovely phasing effect plus the cello. It's just, it's just great, you know, as a song. I mean, you probably wouldn't play it on guitar, but as a studio piece, it just works really well. Yeah, it's got, is it flanging? Um, which perhaps... Yeah, it's, a, it's artificial double tracking um, yeah. that creates that effect. Then they have that kind of that Leslie organ, which I don't know whether it's the first time that George um, had used a Leslie organ in a recording, which then became right. kind of his sound, uh, mm-hmm. actually for Let It Be. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, well, uh, if, if you listen to Let It Be, he uses the Leslie organ quite a lot. Okay. And also in Abbey Road. Um, play a bit of it. Play Just yeah. play some of a little bit of Blue Jay Way. Okay, here it goes. Yeah, it's interesting. Sorry. This is kind of the George that 
stands the test of, of time. Um, um, things like Wonderwall and Blue Jay, where I think one of the reasons that George has got the sort of cachet that he has now is because he did these weird things at the time. And that's what people love more than even, you know, Here Comes the Sun and stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I think this song is underrated, though, a little bit. Um, and I don't know whether it's underrated because it's right next to Flying. Which is uh, which doesn't have which is an instrumental, um, but uh, but I really I really like it. If you listen to this song on 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 headphones, then the the stereo is very interesting because you hear all the instruments on on one side, mm-hmm. all the vocals on another side, but mm-hmm. then you get some kind of effects that kind of pan from one side to another. So it's it's it's, it's an experience yes. for sure. Oh, it's yeah yeah fantastic! Just a a sort of continuation of what started with Tomorrow Never Knows. Mm-hmm, definitely, but perhaps I found out a little fact. Oh, sorry. Keep no, no. Go ahead. Oh, just going to say a little factoid about the song is that George was waiting for Derek Taylor to turn up when he wrote the song, and in a, in a house in Blue Jay Way in Los Angeles, and apparently Paul Simon leased the house after George, and he wrote the first two verses of Bridge Over Troubled Water there. And the percussion track for Cecilia by Simon and Garfunkel is also covered in the same house. So, yeah, good house. Good house to have. <laughs> it was also <laughs> one of the songs that Charles Manson adopted as the foundation for the Helter Skelter theory. Oh, no, really? Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I, wonder what, I wonder what you read into it. Ah, uh, it was probably just the effects. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, crazy, huh? Yeah. It's crazy, but I, I I can't imagine what it must have been like to listen to 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 this type of music um, in 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 at the time. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you think of of uh, flying? Um, I mean, you mentioned that a few times, and to start with, I kind of didn't get it because it's a twelve bar blues, and I just you know because teenage boys play twelve bar blues on guitar, and I just kind of like don't like 12-bar blues at all in whatever form. But I think this is the best one ever because it's got a really nice light atmosphere and it doesn't have any sort of really predictable solos. Yeah, I would say that I like the song better after watching the movie because with the movie, it kind of makes sense. You know, where they go, right. look at your, if you look to your right, you will see something. But if you look to your left, and then you you have this sequence with um, with lots of colors and psychedelia, and you have this in the background. So that that, that works really well in the film. Um, I'm going to rewatch that. I vaguely remember. I remember the bit you're talking about, look to the right, look to the left, but then I've forgotten the sequence. Yeah, but so so there it works well. And that was one of the criticisms at the time that the Beatles had, that that was a very important sequence in the film. Um, and and because it was shown in black and white, people couldn't really enjoy it as it was intended. Yeah, yeah, they must have just seen that curtain of grey <laughs> yeah. with this song, with this yeah. instrumental in the background. But nowadays, I tend to skip it. I have to be honest. Oh no, I never skipped this one. I like it because it's so open and just uh, you know dreamy, and it doesn't tie you down with the lyric. Here's a quotation. I got to give you this because it's this lovely. This is Charles Murray. Um, not the Charles Murray, but a journalist writing for Mojo. Um, sounds like Booker T and the MGs after A, an intensive course of transcendental meditation, B, a serious acid trip, or C, a prefrontal lobotomy. 
<laughs> fantastic. There you go. <laughs> That's really funny. And the ending is fantastic. John is experimenting on um, his Mellotron here, and he's just playing the ve at the very end. He's just yeah, uh, or, uh, maybe uh, half a minute from the end, and he's just playing these melodies that are just coming to him, and they're fantastic. I've got it here. Yeah. Could you hear it? Oh, very, very quiet. Sorry, one more time. That was the very end of it, yeah. Yeah. I love it, and I love that. The, da, 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 the very last line. And apparently, there's a 9 minute 36 version of this. So let's have it. You know, I, I kind of want nine minutes thirty six of that. Yes, please. Well, we, we <laughs> might get it in the in the Giles Martin uh, remix in the expensive box. Do you think they're going to do this? Well, I I hope they do all the albums. I mean, they started with um, what, what did they start with? Sergeant Pepper. Um, then they did the White Album, Abbey Road. Yeah. The problem with this is, are there enough bits and pieces? You know, there's got to be enough to fill one disc. They could put Carnival of Light on it, I suppose. They can put Carnival of Light. They can put all the versions of Full on the Hill, all the versions of I Am the Walrus, plus the instrumental, <laughs> plus the one from Love, plus the backing track of All You Need Is Love. I mean, they can surely they can do something. Plus, the, yeah, yeah. Well, but they they re-released it in two thousand and twelve, I guess. So probably that'll be the last one. Uh, yeah, it might come out. Yeah, we've left. We haven't said anything about Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane, probably because I mean, so much has been said about them. But maybe we should, maybe we should talk about Strawberry Fields because it's just so good. <laughs> I don't know because maybe we should leave those two for the Sergeant Pepper episode. Maybe I mean the thing is, yeah, and and all the stories about those songs, people know them. Let's leave those for Sergeant Pepper. Good idea. Yeah, I think so because I don't know what what you what you think, but I think they belong more in Sergeant Pepper than they do in in Magical Mystery. Too. Yeah, For yeah. Me, well, and, and sorry, like, in terms of the chronology, I agree. And and also in terms of the feel, um, and I don't know. I mm -hmm. whenever I, I think of Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane, I always feel that they should that they belong in Sergeant Pepper more than in Magical Mystery too. Okay, so let's leave them. So we got two left. We've got, um, it's unusual for us to be able to do them all. Uh, so, yeah, I think this is a first for us. Um, so, um, your mother should know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, now, w this was used in the 80s as a kind of a jingle for people uh, requesting oldies on a radio show. And there was this slot called Your Mother Should Know. So that's where I first heard it. Um I think it's kind of half a song. It almost sounds like an unfinished song, but I really like it. I think the I, I think the, the 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 melody line of the chorus it kind of hooks back on to um, the, the where it ends, hooks back on to where it started, and it could just go on and on and on, you know, forever. Um, it's very good. I I kind of just wish that Paul had finished it with a verse, like a proper sort of verse, or you know, it's just one of those songs. Brilliant melody. You can you can. Totally yes. see that Paul's melodies are impeccable. It's got something very interesting as well. It pans from left to right. So the, the vocals start on That's the right. Peter, and then they slowly pan to the right. 
and and that's that's, that's right it's very good I, I when i was a teenager i had these um car speakers in my room mm-hmm. and uh um it's, Sometimes, you know, or uh, it was either the speaker or the channel in my little stereo cassette thing wasn't working properly. And you could always tell with this song because one of the verses would be very clear and then um, the next one would be, mm, that's not so good, that's a bit fuzzy. So it's a great one to test your headphones on, folks, and just to... Uh, <laughs> just Actually, over time, I think the, the um, EQ is slightly different on the right vocal and the left vocal as well. I got a feeling there was a slight difference, but maybe that's just a hangover from my uh, teenage stereo problems. <laughs> the <laughs> is also amazing, like, um, because it doesn't... It doesn't yeah. go with the note, it doesn't go boom, it goes boodunk. Yes, the bass is great. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, well spotted. Yeah, I'll play a bit of and it. And Lennon's harmonies, Lennon, Lennon's harmonies are really good. Yeah, they're, 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 they're excellent. In terms of harmonies, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, I'll play yeah. a bit of it. Yeah. Now, very interesting, um, from Anthology 2, there is Take 27 of Your Mother Should Know, which Paul uh-huh. sick, he says at the beginning, with Siggy in mouth. Do you remember? <laughs> oh, no, I'd forgotten that. <laughs> Can you hear he's singing with the Siggy in his mouth? Okay. Yeah, here you go. Do you want us to do it again, George? Okay. With Siggy in mouth. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. I love how they experimented with that beat. Uh, it put him off to start with, but it's nice that they, were, that they had that in there. Yeah, and the accordion as well. It's so different to the final version. I can't really see Do you know how this... That. Sorry. No, I can't really see how they went from that version to the final version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what the box set will show you. <laughs> this was do you know how this fits into the Beatles history so it's quite interesting this this was the first one so they did all you need is love in june mm-hmm. then they had a long break i don't know exactly when they recorded this so this was the one they came back to after the long break um so um I, it must have been Ian McDonald again. One writer suggested, I'm going to say it's him. This was Paul saying, let's all get up. You know, everybody, let's get going. Um, I, so that makes, I don't know how this fits in then with I Am The Walrus exactly. Maybe it was recorded before Brian died. Maybe. Possibly. Uh, yeah. Written, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have, to, we have to get a calendar next time. Just <laughs> Yeah, or get that book by Mark Lewison, the Beatles. Oh yeah, sessions. Yeah, I have um, yeah. I I have a copy of that book. 
it's 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 not a light read. <laughs> <laughs> if you read it from cover to cover, no, it's more like um, it's, it's a reference book. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And um, hello, goodbye. Yep, a single that was included in the in the album. Um, John didn't particularly like this song, right? Ah, uh, that's because I am the walrus. Um, got relegated to the B side, and interestingly, so I mean, in, I am the walrus was on the B side of this and on the EP. So that's the mm-hmm. first time I think fans got um kind of diddled. <laughs> I mean, the Beatles didn't do that. Um, but this time people were kind of buying something twice. Um, and this also was number one when the Magical Mystery Tour double EP was number two. So this kept the EP off number one. Yeah. And and I think John was upset because it went to number one. Oh, really? Ah, well, yeah, I guess it, he must have felt so resentful because I Am The Always is the better song. I mean, I love this, but I Am The Always is the better of the two songs but that should have been the a side if you think about melody and you think perhaps about the international market and everything yes he would have gone to number one yeah yeah another great outro on this one i mean i'd like i've seen this is the album of great outros but that i mean i don't know anything about it i don't know if it's supposed to be a different language i think somebody suggested it was but the kind of hela hela lola Love that. Yeah, the kind of Hawaiian bit. And I'm only saying Hawaiian because they have like some hula dancers in, in the video. <laughs> That's right. That's quite goofy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Apparently, yeah. Paul took a lot of care over the bass line here and really worked at it. And you can tell it's very melodic. Yeah, I guess this is one that a lot of people learning English, a lot of those kind of um, English language students uh possibly came to the Beatles through this one because uh, it's so easy and you know I, I'm sure people use it in class yeah what a shame isn't it to learn English through this song <laughs> <laughs> well then they can progress to I am the walrus and they learn lots of vocab that they don't need <laughs> when there is T1 <laughs> yeah this this is a great um this is a great um song in the tradition of kind of what i call toy town psychedelia so the kind of nursery rhyme um psychedelia things like see emily play and hole in my shoe and i mean we could do a whole episode on that that's something that only happened in britain i mean there were hints of it elsewhere but really we specialized in that so it is like um it is like a child's song in a way it is. But I, I like that kind of comparing things, comparing opposites, like hello, goodbye, high, low, left, right. Um, you, you see that every kind of major band has a song um, with, with that kind of lyric. Yeah. And it's all, I mean, the subtext is, I'm Paul McCartney. I'm so positive. <laughs> I say yes. Thinking, you say no. I was thinking, uh, I'm Paul McCartney. I can get away with this. <laughs> Let's hear a bit. And then let's hear the outro as well. Yeah, just a second. Um,
got a beautiful violin on the left on the right oh yeah and i like the uh, the backing vocals are quite beguiling on that aren't they you know the the backing vocals that just come in i think in the second verse and they sort of go up oh yeah there's lots of good bits and also the why 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 do you say goodbye there's lots of great touches on that that make um to sort of i think it needed it because it's such a simple song so it needed those embellishments yeah i'll go towards the end so we hear the outro Fantastic and a clear number one. I mean, yeah, number one. I always picture those hula dances when when I hear that part. Yeah, well, they really goof off. That's quite fun to watch. John's like just having so much fun doing that. I mean, you know, you'd think he wouldn't be enjoying it, but he really is. (laughs) Yeah. And those are all the songs of Magical Mystery Tour. This is actually episode one hour and 12 minutes. It's yeah, and we we covered all the songs, so that was nice. Great to talk to you about Magical Mystery Tour. I that's it's it's really an album I go back to and back to and back to. And someone special is bringing me a copy of that um, for my birthday. <laughs> her Sue pressing is it her Sue? <laughs> yes, it is. It is. It's the it's the German pressing. So I'll, I'll be playing that and see how it sounds. Yeah, brilliant, excellent. So, um, again, we'll be releasing this as a podcast episode. So um, if you haven't subscribed to to the podcast, please do. Um, we're also on Instagram. So please follow us on Instagram. And we always announce these Clubhouse meetings on Twitter. And if anyone um, uh, wants to contribute during the episodes, uh, that's what Clubhouse is good for as well. So you're always welcome to come up and uh, join us and, and say what you think about these tracks. Excellent. So see you maybe in a couple of weeks. Yes, and we'll we'll choose something else. Maybe the love album. Yeah, I think we should go for the love album. <laughs>